Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. So on our new website at expatmoney.com, I have put out a special report on getting a plan B residency and instant citizenships. I think that this is really important stuff and I want to get this into your hands straight away. You can grab it for free if you go to expatmoney.com and you'll see it right at the very top. All you need to do is just put in your name and email address. You're going to be able to access it instantly. There's no cost for it. I'm not selling anything. I just want you to get this information. You're going to be able to join my newsletter. You're going to be able to stay up to date with all all of the important work that we're doing at Expat Money. And yeah, it's going to be amazing. So go to expatmoney.com, grab the special report on getting a plan B residency or instant citizenship and enjoy, read it. It's important stuff. I think you're really going to like it. Okay, let's get into the interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is the co-founder of the Polygot Gathering co-founder of Duolingo's Esperanto course and founder of Esperanto Wikipedia, among other Esperanto and Polyglot projects. He had the idea for a GPS device to find fellow Esperanto speakers while traveling through Brazil in 2002, but he needed to wait 15 years for the technology to catch up so he could pursue this dream. Now he looks forward to meeting the challenges ahead to help people everywhere connect and make the world a better place. Please welcome to the show, Chuck Smith. Chuck, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. I'm really excited about this one. I have been kind of hearing the word Esperanto for probably 15 or 20 years now and kind of every year or two go and look up and read a couple articles about it. So I know kind of what Esperanto is, but I guess maybe we should start with, you know, how did you find Esperanto? You know, why is it interesting to you? And maybe just a quick background of really what it is. And then we're going to get into some detail in today's conversation. So I was taking a university class called uh, Models of Mind. So just a background, a computer science degree. And uh, this was an artificial intelligence class. And I wrote a paper on how um, computers could learn languages. And at the time, I came across Esperanto and I was like, well, this is a stupid idea for people, but for computers, it would make sense. It'd be great for computers to learn a language because it's much more regular than normal national languages, for example. I was actually talking to the professor about this later, and he was like, oh, I wish you'd talk more about Esperanto in the the speech I gave about the paper afterwards. And I was like, okay, interesting. And then I did a little bit more research out of curiosity. And I found one thing called the Passport de Servo, which is a network of Esperanto speakers. It's sort of like couch surfing before couch surfing. I mean, this started in the 60s, if you can imagine that, as a book. 
I just sent to Esperanto speakers around the world where you can stay for free. And I was like, huh, I really want to do a three-month trip in Europe. So if I do this, I can stretch my budget more. I guess you could say I'm one of the few people who actually learned Esperanto for practical reasons. <laughs> and I also, well, it's also the ideal of it that I like the idea that if I'm, say, I'm in France, and I'm sort of like the idea that I give the French person the option which international language he wants to speak. Do you want to speak English or do you want to speak Esperanto with me? So in a way, it's a, also a way of being fair. Okay, so let's dig into like what exactly is Esperanto because I'm going to make a guess that probably a lot of my listeners don't have a lot of experience with Esperanto. So I want to be really clear at the very, very beginning and then I want to get into kind of some of the history and things like that afterwards. Yeah, so an eye doctor in Warsaw published like the initial rules of Esperanto in 1887. And at the time, it was just a thousand words and 16 grammar rules. And from there, it just expanded naturally as people spoke it and just grew naturally. It still amazes me that it had such a simple beginning, and yet you can have dictionaries today that are you know, very thick, <laughs> thousands of, um, over a thousand pages at least. And the idea basically is that, so you want to cut the language down to the most uh, logical levels possible. You don't have the 500 irregular verbs book of Esperanto because there are no irregular verbs. Oh, and there's also a nice affix system. So there's prefixes and suffixes that you can just attach to words. So the example I like to give is you have the word for sana, which means healthy. And then you can make malsana, which means unhealthy. And then you can make malsanulo, which is an unhealthy person. And then malsanuleyo, unhealthy person place, which is a hospital. So it's sort of, well, it's a way for people who don't have a common language to Esperanto, like say you're from Asia and you don't have a, you don't speak English or French or Spanish or anything like that. You can also just piece together words as you need them. And it's just a great way to be, just communicate. And basically the idea with that is if a word makes sense put together like that, then it, it's logic, it's valid. I think it's just beautiful. Okay. So this is a constructed language. It's not one that had its roots in Latin or something else. It's really completely from scratch. Is that correct? Right. So as a guy in Warsaw that basically saw there were languages all around him and people couldn't speak to each other. And his initial goal was for world peace, which is a very lofty goal, of course. But I think today it's more thought of as a way for people to have their own international community. And also benefits, for example, if I go to Japan, like, am I speaking English? Then probably the person, you know, wants to sell me something. That's probably the situation you're in. There's some kind of business arrangement. Whereas I think with Esperanto, it's more like people want to make friends. It's more of the idea behind it. Of course, there are business deals happen in Esperanto as well and things like that. But I, it's that the focus is you're not expecting. I think you get what I mean. It's very much more of a friendly thing. You don't, people don't learn Esperanto to make money. They're learning it to make friends around the world. Okay. Well, and I would also imagine that it puts people on a much more even keel. And I, and I can think of my own life as an example. I'm Canadian. My first language is English, but my wife is from mainland China. Her first language is Mandarin. She has amazing English, but I still have to speak to her as someone who speaks English as a second language. So there's always going to be some type of an imbalance there. Now, we've been together for so many years that I don't really think about it now and her English has improved so much over the last seven or so years that it's okay. But I, I can kind of think that in a lot of instances, if you're forcing someone else to speak English, then you're forcing them to be at your level. And if you're at a native, then that's 
kind of, I don't like using the word unfair, but I mean, there's some kind of challenge there. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I can think of one other thing, and this is something that I talk about all the time. I live in Latin America and I actively study Spanish because I don't want everyone to always have to interact with me on my terms. I would rather be, when I'm a guest in someone else's country, try to go their language and speak to them on their terms, which makes sense for someone like an expat who's living in Panama. But if you're traveling through Europe and every few hundred kilometers, there's a different language, that can be probably a lot to keep up with, I would imagine. Yeah. And for example, a lot of people say that you you don't sound as smart in a foreign language, especially if you don't know it that well. So I've had experiences too, speaking with like, let's say a German friend here. So I'm in Berlin right now. And so I just talked to my German friend, like, I mean, we'd actually never spoken anything else except Esperanto. And then one day he was like, we just speak English just for fun. You know, why not? And I was like, okay, sure. And it's just this psychologically, he just didn't sound as intelligent. And I'm just like, this, <laughs> this isn't right for me to think this way. It's just this is what just human nature would happen. I hope he listens to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I have to send them, hey, Till. <laughs> so, okay. The other thing that really comes to mind when we talk about this is politics. Because with all languages, there's some type of inbuilt politics. First of all, does Esperanto have any politics attached to it? Is it a nation state type of language? I know that you said it originally came from Poland, but does it have like its ties to a geographical location like Poland or is it completely worldwide? It's completely worldwide. Obviously, some countries speak it more than others. And like most Esperanto organizations will even in their like mission statement to declare that they're neutral politically. Well, some say neutral politically, except for in the case of language rights. But would say generally the Esperanto community does skew left. Okay. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> but we're also very accepting of everyone. So. Okay. All right. <laughs> Economically, I'm extremely far right. And socially, I'm extremely far left. I'm libertarian. So I just want to be left alone and be peaceful <laughs> and don't take my money and completely off the access, I would say. I, I asked the question about politics, not because of the difference between left and right, but more of the difference between if you are speaking English, then that comes with, if we look at the origins of where English came from, I understand that it's a, a mixed mash of Latin and Germanic and Old English and multiple languages. But if we really think about England and Great Britain and what that meant for the rest of the world, over history and understanding that there's certain directions where it's it's so very different when you go through Asia or through Africa or through Latin America, these types of things. So it's kind of interesting, a language that was started from scratch that didn't start from a nation state. Right. And I mean, I think that's also an interesting point to make. For example, I remember making friends in Brazil and Poland and Japan, and I'm realizing that if they learned English in school, they never really like took it to heart. So you can actually have this conversation where you're speaking to people who have no like general feel of say UK and US culture. Whereas if you're talking to someone in English from abroad, they generally have studied quite a lot about when is tea time in the UK and when is how do you go to the mall in America and things like that. Of course, pretty much everyone has seen American movies. I mean, you still have that, but yeah, but the biggest export from the United States is culture. I mean, <laughs> movies are absolutely huge. Anywhere and everywhere you go on planet Earth, people have watched the latest Marvel movie or they know the Star Wars <laughs> or anything like that. Right. I think even some of the, the biggest box office hits are in 
mainland China. So they have to be really careful about those types of things. Okay, back onto Esperanto. So you kind of touched on it before, but maybe you can highlight it a little bit more. Like, why do you think that Esperanto is, is so important? Well, I think it's so important just to help people communicate across boundaries. Um, just, I think more communication we have among mankind, the better. And it's almost a subversive way to communicate, you know, without any government influence or anything. I mean, it's just just this general knowledge. I mean, I mean, you can even see in some Wikipedia articles, if you look like language by language, you see they actually have different, they're saying different things in different languages. And like, okay, that's just, but there's probably only one fact here. And it's, it would be better for people to be able to talk to each other more. And I think it does lead to more things like closer to world peace. Maybe not that lofty of an ideal, but getting closer to there. Well, one of the things that we discuss so much on the show is community. We're really focused these days on community. And with everything that's happening in the world, I really find that there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of separation between the parties and different viewpoints. I'm not an idealist by any means. I'm a pragmatist and I'm very realistic, but I think a realistic option is finding a safe new place that we can live. Then you start thinking about that, well, what would that look like? As a libertarian, you know, I'm not going to tell people what they can speak and what they can't speak on the ground in a community or a constructed city or anything like that. But it would be interesting to see if Esperanto did get picked up, if that was like a common ground, a thread, how people interacted with, with each other. There have been some territories over the years that have had Esperanto as the language. Like Morrisnet, island off of Italy. And I think then uh, Italy just went and invaded it. And then the, oh, that was the Rose Island, island or something, wasn't it? I saw, I saw the documentary. All right. Yeah. I want to see that on Netflix. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. I, a documentary is probably not the right word for it. The, the dramatization. <laughs> okay. For what it is, I enjoyed it. It was, it was pretty fun. One thing that's interesting is every year they do have what's almost like an Esperanto city is there's the Universal Congress of Esperanto, which draws between one and 5,000 people every year. This year will be in Montreal in August, but uh, every year it just moves from place to place. And it's almost like when you're there, you're in an Esperanto town and it's uh, pretty fascinating just like run into Esperanto speakers everywhere. And even when you're in the city, because you, I mean, you imagine that few thousand people into any city, you you just end up randomly running into Esperanto speakers. So funny phenomenon. Very much so. And that way, yeah. <laughs> All right. So talk to me then how many speakers in the world or estimates of how many speakers in the world of Esperanto are there? So according to the World Almanac, it said 2 million. But I tend to think it would be closer to, to a million. Of course, the question also would then be, What's an Esperanto speaker? Like what level? I mean, how would you say what's a chess player? That's for example, what level do you have to be? And then the question too of that million, I would say they're not active. It's like they could have learned it and then um, never used it, but it could be dormant. Because I've had people, they've emailed me and they said, oh, I haven't used Esperanto in five years. Please excuse my mistakes. And I see like, I saw like three mistakes in your email. Like <laughs> the, the funny thing with languages is that you forget the irregularities. That's really what goes. And with Esperanto being so regular, it stays in your head over time. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. And one other thing I like about Esperanto is that it's a really big help to learning another language, especially of, say, the monoglot English speakers listening, because a lot of times it's that first language that's a real hurdle. Like some people say it's like learning the recorder, the, the small flute and in, in music class. No one learns that to play that flute. Well, maybe a few people do, but that's typically not the goal. The goal is that you want to learn the saxophone and by learning the recorder and music theory, you build yourself up to it. 
And so most people could learn Esperanto in like one or two years with like regular usage or regular learning. And I mean, that's even one of the arguments. It's like, if we just spent two years teaching every kid in the world Esperanto, the whole world could talk to each other. And it's, just like, it's such a simple thing, but it's the whole Catch-22 situation. Who starts? Is it Germany starting? Is the United States starting? And if no one starts, then you can't boil the ocean, basically, is the problem. Sure. But then I guess that also ties back to our conversation about having it a non-nation state type of language. So if you make it enforced at the educational level in public schools, then that's going to probably change a lot of the dynamic. It's kind of nice that people are coming to this of their own voluntary means because they're excited about it and it's something that they want to do instead of being enforced on them. Exactly. So with the two possibly 1 million people that speak Esperanto. Can you think of any other countries in the world or languages in the world that have roughly that amount of speakers to kind of give us context of what we're talking about? So Slovenian is about 2 million speakers. It's a small country in Europe. And isn't Denmark a million or so? I'm trying to remember. It's, we were chit-chatting Den- about Denmark <laughs> before. I, I was admitting that my family is originally from Denmark, but I've never been to Denmark and I do not speak Danish. So shame on me. Yeah. So it was interesting. Also another interesting language comparison when we were just making the Esperanto Duolingo back in the day. A few days after the Ukrainian course for English launched. I mean, this is way before the war when there's much less interest in the language. And we're surprised at the time to find there are about as many people who are signing up for the Esperanto course as they were for the Ukrainian course. That can also give a feel. I mean, pre-war, how much interest there would be would be about the same for Esperanto and Ukrainian among English speakers. Okay. Interesting. So, okay. Esperanto is the most popular of the constructed languages out there in the world. And it's not the only one. I, I actually did a bit of reading beforehand. There's actually quite a few out there, but it's certainly at the forefront. What are some of the other reasons that you think maybe it's not gone from 2 million to 20 million to 200 million? Like, what do you think the stumbling blocks are there? Oh, that's a a long one. We have more than an hour now? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So I think one thing is just sort of it's, it doesn't have a great of a reputation. So I think it's, it's improving. But also one thing that's been interesting is it's always grown except for during the world wars. So it's always been a growing language. I think one issue is that at least today in 2022, people would consider English to be the international language. And the people who've learned English would like to keep it that way because they spent the effort to learn English. And and they also have power and politics and such. So there's no really incentive to them to promote Esperanto because then they're like, oh, I need to learn one more language now, even though it's a lot easier than English. But that's a lot of the problem is you just have this, I mean, the people in power don't have interest in making Esperanto the international language, basically. And the funny thing is, though, I sometimes compare it with the fall of the Berlin Wall because it's like, if you ask people a month before the Berlin Wall fell, they'd say, there's no way that would have happened that the Berlin Wall could fall like anytime soon. Because you still have people making escape attempts and such to the other side. And it's also like, it could just be one big event where suddenly there's a huge pop song that talks about Esperanto and then suddenly it's on the minds of a lot of people. I mean, Duolingo was a huge event for the Esperanto community. Brought in, well, millions of people at least heard about it. Did it just a couple of lessons, at least they heard about it and it grew tremendously from that. I mean, well, we found a lot of people hearing from people like, hey, in our Esperanto club, someone came in. They never spoke a word of Esperanto before, but they were speaking almost fluently, <laughs> just showing <laughs> up from work from doing Duolingo. Really, it was crazy. <laughs> 
Well, I personally say, if you want to learn a language, one thing I always say is always learn from, I personally choose always three sources. It's like, gives me enough variety to change, like choose a one and not too much variety that gets stuck. Like uh, which, which method do I want to use to learn this language or which resource do I want to use? So a little language learning tip there you can throw in on the side. <laughs> so, okay. So what are the three ways that you always like to learn languages then? I'm assuming that Esperanto is not your only secondary language that you've picked up. No, no. So I speak, well, I guess seven languages. So if you can count Polish. Polish is the language I keep learning and forgetting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's no, nothing in particular. Well, one thing, it also depends on your goal in a language. For example, if I always tell people, if you really want to just go to a country and speak, like from day one, I recommend the Pemsler method. It's basically an audio course. It's actually from the 60s. It's crazy that it's still around and working. And I mean, a lot of the methodology is old, but it works. So it's, a, it's basically like a whole, you bump into someone on the bus, what you say, it's really building reflexes. And I think it gives you a good foundation for speaking, particularly. But if you want to, say, really learn to watch a movie series, then I recommend put subtitles and flashcards and really focus on... If you want to learn to read, then yeah, read a lot. And maybe a listening reading method is better where you like take a parallel text and also the audio book from the language and just really try to absorb it that way. Because it really depends on this key. Do you want to read that language? Do you want to speak in the country when you arrive, like just order a beer, a wine or something? Or, or is it that you really want to dig into a movie series? Like really think goal-oriented. Like what do you really want to do with the language? It's kind of funny with Esperanto because people would... Typically, say that's one of the le the use most useless languages you can, uh, learn. Although I'd say for me personally, it was probably the most enriching language. And it's also funny for me that I've now lived over 15 years in Germany, and I still speak Esperanto better than I speak German. Wow, amazing! <laughs> yeah. So does that speak to the power of your Esperanto or the weakness in your German, though? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think it speaks a lot to the, uh, the regularity of Esperanto. Like I said, that you really can, you get up and running so fast. Like you could be learning it in the first week you're making a joke in Esperanto, which you could never do in <laughs> most other foreign languages. Yeah. I mean, it's also the fact that I live in Berlin where I moved here. There was a lot more German than there is now. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now you go and, uh, well, you know, the experience as an expat, I'm sure you go to an event and uh, there's one person who doesn't speak well where you are spanish and then everyone has to speak english all of a sudden so and that happens more and more in berlin international events okay so then i found over time speaking more and more english <laughs> that makes sense that makes sense when i was really trying to pick up spanish i spent hundreds of hours on italki do they have italki esperanto tutors yes they do Oh, awesome. <laughs> no, I even know a couple personally. <laughs> okay. For me personally, this was a fantastic way to learn the language, just chit chatting about everyday things with a tutor, not a professional teacher. They never taught me anything. We just shot the shit and just chit chatted and talked about our kids and family and et cetera, et cetera. And I was able to pick up Spanish quite well, you know, really taking it to the next level, I suppose. Yeah, excellent. That's also one of the ideas behind our app Amikumo is to uh, meet people nearby who speak well any language you want. But it started with the Esperanto community, and that's where it's strongest. I mean, it was inspired partly by the Esperanto community on Duolingo. We're seeing people learning basically Esperanto in a bubble, and we're just like, there's likely someone in your own city who maybe is also learning on Duolingo, or maybe has spoken it for 15 years already. And so we made Amikumo so that people could just open up an app and say, oh, there's an Esperanto speaker 500 meters away. Do you want to meet for coffee and chat, hang out? <laughs>
<laughs> cool. So have you had some pretty neat experiences with that then? Bumping into people? Yeah, it's been very interesting. And I mean, I think my my most, well, let's say profitable, but <laughs> it's the money show after all. So I can go Absolutely. That Once I was invited to uh, Duolingo Pittsburgh, and then I had to also leave after the meeting, or basically landed, went to visit my parents and then went back. And I was like, you know, I don't really want to get a hotel. I looked at the my app and I actually found some um, people in Pittsburgh on the app and I said, hey, Hey, could I crash at your place for like a night? And I was like, great, that was cool. <laughs> that was actually a really um, fascinating time. It was funny because they ended up being gamers. And so we ended up gaming all night. <laughs> Quite fascinating. <laughs> Big announcement. We have launched Expat Money Summit. I am so excited. You know, this is something that I've wanted to do for several years now, but the timing was just never quite right. But now it is. Our team is growing. I think we've got about 10 people who are part of the Expat Money team now. So I've got a lot of support. I got a lot of help that's going to help me put this on. But this year's event is going to be absolutely massive. Like, I can't stress this enough. This event is going to be a complete game changer. Every other summit is going to pale in comparison to this one. Other companies are going to look at our summit as a model on how to successfully run an offshore summit. We are going to eat everybody's lunch. It's going to be epic slash hilarious. You know why? Because the summit is free. Normally, people charge thousands of dollars for this types of information, but I thought, you know what? I want to put it out there for free to as many people as possible because the information is so necessary. I need people to get this stuff. I need to try to help as many people as possible. So what I ask in return is your support. What you can do is go to expatmoneysummit.com. You can get yourself a free ticket then share the shit out of this all over social media. If you have an email newsletter or if you have friends who might be interested in this stuff, then send it to them too. We got to get the word out. The goal here is 30,000 attendees. That's what I'm hoping for. It's a lofty goal. I won't lie with you. It's a lofty goal. But this summit is going to be unbelievable. It's going to be a complete game changer and we're going to help so many people. So I need your support. Go to expatmoneysummit.com, get yourself a free ticket and then share it with as many people as possible to raise awareness. We have so many amazing speakers from around the world. I think we have over 30 speakers at this point during our five-day conference. I'm so excited. That's all I can say. I'm just so, so excited. I hope you guys are too. I hope I can count on you for all of your support. expatmoneysummit.com. And yeah, let's do it. All right. So maybe explain a little bit about the language itself, how it functions, if someone wanted to start out, what that might look like. Yeah, so I definitely recommend something like Duolingo or Drops or Lerno.net. I don't know if you want to put links in the description under the video or definitely. the podcast. Yep. To use to YouTube. <laughs> well, it's also on YouTube, right? We're now putting all of the interviews out on YouTube. The majority of our people, like 99% of the population who listen to this, will listen to it on the podcast, so on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and stuff. But we're now putting the video out. But either way, I will make sure that I put links in the show notes at expatmoneyshow.com. So I'll help you out and ask them to like and subscribe. There you go. <laughs> what do, what do they always say in the YouTube videos? Mash that like button. <laughs> Mash yeah, the like exactly. What does that even mean? Oh, my God. Just take your mouse and click here. Like... I love our podcast listeners. Like, what are they talking about? <laughs> But like one thing I found fascinating is the verbs, for example, if you have like, say, you have the word ami, to love, then amas is loves, 
Amos is will love. Amis is loved. And the great thing is that works for every verb across the entire language. So yeah, it's just amazing that way. So that's interesting because in Spanish, mm -hmm. it's amor. So it almost sounds mm -hmm. similar. And your earlier example where you said something about bad was like mal, which is also <laughs> yes. bad in, in Spanish or in Latin you know, context. So are you sure it doesn't have any roots to Latin or am I just imagining things where they don't exist? Yeah, so mal in Esperanto actually means un. Oh, okay, it means un. But it works in Malbona, which means ungood, funnily enough, for the Orwell. I mean, I believe the, he um, actually had an Esperanto-speaking roommate. I'm not sure of this. I'm pretty sure of this. <laughs> and that inspired a lot of things in his book, actually, because he wasn't such a big fan of it. <laughs> but yeah, the vocabulary-wise, Esperanto is about 60% uh, Romance language, 30% Germanic, and 10% Slavic. Okay. But I was surprised when I was say, studying Polish, it felt like the structure felt very similar. Like the way you do nuance with the word order is felt more with like the similar to the way Polish works and other Slavic languages from what I've seen. Okay. And then if someone wanted to get started, you know, really break it down, like say you were going to sit down with someone and you were going to say they wanted to learn Esperanto, what would your advice to them be? Oh, I'd say if you're a book person, grab a book like Teach Yourself Esperanto. That's really great. If you're more of an internet person and you want a game like, then I'd say something like Duolingo or Drops or Utalk. If you really want that kind of tutor experience, Italki. I mean, it's a lot of the same things you do for any other language. It's just, I mean, there's obviously less resources. Well, I'd say less resources available, but it really depends on the language. I think you, yeah, like if you're wanting to learn Slovenian, then it's about the same amount of resources available to you. But I think the difference though is that when you're learning Esperanto, the community is really a lot more helpful and a lot more welcoming because it's not like you're an outsider coming to the country. It's like you're just becoming part of the community because they also had a time, I mean, except for say the one to 2,000 native Esperanto speakers, um, they also had a time where they learned Esperanto from scratch. So they know that the feeling of learning Esperanto and hopefully you're more understanding that way as well. Yeah, talk to me a little bit more about the community as well, because I think that this is super fascinating. Now, you mentioned earlier an annual gathering. Either break that down for me more or talk about other types of aspects of the community. Yeah, so like I said, there's many gatherings around the world. The Universal Congress is always mentioned because it's the largest, but there's also a lot of Esperanto speakers who just say, that's too big for me. I don't want to get lost in a sea of thousands of people. Also, like there's youth-oriented events, for, and youth in Esperanto is amusingly up to 35. <laughs> okay. So I don't think you're too old if you're 33 listening to this podcast. Well, even so, um, some people even go a bit older if they're more young at heart to um, youth events. That's usually more like youth hostel type situations and things like that. But really, there's something just fascinating about going to any kind of international event where, well, for example, last year I organized a New Year's event. Because of COVID, the big New Year's Esperanto event was canceled. Um, that's also amusing wordplay because it's called Yes, the Unilada Esperanto Semino. The Yes is with a J in Esperanto. We pronounce like a Y, like in German, but I digress here. But uh, we we decided to call ours Nay to be funny, to be No, because <laughs> <laughs> Yes was cancelled, and we called that the Noviada Esperanto Ludato New Year's Esperanto Gaming. And we had ten people there from eight different countries, which is just a great atmosphere that you've got. 10 people there from eight countries and no one's speaking their native language. No, just And everyone's on their own level playing field. Obviously, some people learned Esperanto more than others, but the language itself wasn't the barrier. 
to communication. But I think just so much of the magic comes from just having people from so many different countries and not feeling like there's one that's a dominant language. Because if you go to many international conferences, you'll find that tables tend to congregate around like there's the Spanish speakers over there and there's the Italians over in that table. And Esperanto just blows that out of the water. You don't see that at all. <laughs> that's neat. That's very neat. And when people come to these types of events, do you have all levels or do people usually have like a certain fluidity in the language before they would ever step foot at one of these events? So I think it really depends on the style of event. So if you take the Universal Congreso, then you typically get the high level speakers. And I would even say only attend if you're at least intermediate. And I would even wait until you're completely fluent before going there because it's it's intense. Like it's eight parallel tracks and yeah, just plan to be exhausted afterwards. <laughs> but I mean, if you take the youth meetings, they're much more like laid back. I mean, there's also family meetings, people who used to go to youth meetings and they, they had kids and they want to take their kids and let them experience the atmosphere as well. And those meetings are tend to be more like intermediate level. I mean, it's obviously the experts. There's also the beginners. And then you have local clubs like city clubs that uh, you have much lower levels. I mean, it's also part of it how much effort it is to get to the event in question because if you generally the more effort you put into Esperanto, the more you'd be willing to like buy the international flight to Montreal, for example. But yeah, it really depends on the kind of event. Uh, the smaller events tend to have uh, lower levels, but it's also more informal, much more chill. So it really just depends what you're after. Okay. Yeah, I remember going to meetup events when I lived in Abu Dhabi and we would do an Arabic meetup night or something like that. And we'd go in and you might only speak 50 words of Arabic or 100 words of Arabic, but that was okay. Like, I mean, you could start from basically nothing and use that as a way to start learning a few more words or here or there. It was never an expectation that everybody who was going to be going was going to be at a really high level because for that, you just go anywhere in the street or, or talk to anybody. There's so many resources, but for the beginning type of people, smaller, local, you know, we used meetup, but any of those types of platforms, I think probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I went to meetup, German meetups in New York city. And I remember that kind of atmosphere. It's nice. I also recommend it. If you're learning a language, go to see if there's a meetup in your city. Definitely. So if someone's listening to this and they go, all right, I want to give this a try. What is like an expectation, like a reality for time frame? Like if they dedicate themselves to this, you know, what can they expect? Oh, it really matters. Well, a lot of it too is your background. If you, I've seen like the crazy polyglot come in with, he speaks 15 languages already. And by the third day, they're like speaking like almost intermediate level. And you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> so, I mean, it really depends on what you're coming in with. So, I mean, it took me about, I'd say about a half hour a day and started learning it in 2001. And about a year later, I felt conversational with it. Two years later, I felt like fluent, basically. I mean, obviously, if you go to events, that greatly accelerates because then you're thrown into an Esperanto environment. And there's actually there's events all over the world. There's a event Acervo, which will show you um, Esperanto events happening you can even filter it by city or by multi-day event. And there's online events. So you don't want to travel. You just want to go to a Zoom. I mean, this, this popped up more during COVID. And I kept a lot of those running still. So if you want to just attend a meeting, I think the group in Chicago still meets online, for example. And, and obviously, whatever destination interests you, you could see if there's events there online. But I, I find that now with resources, much better. So, I mean, you can go to italki now. It didn't exist in 2001 when I started learning. There's Duolingo now. There's Lerno.net. There's all these apps. It's greatly accelerated it where it's more than once I've heard, like I started learning 
Esperanto a month or two months ago, and, and they're just like, sorry for the mistakes. They're not making any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> but yeah, and it's obviously how much effort you put in. I mean, if you're putting in an hour a day, that's going to give you much different results than five minutes a day on an app. Yeah, maybe get an idea now. Yeah, if you're an intense polyglot and go for an intensive weekend, maybe a weekend is enough to get up to a decent level. And if you just do five minutes a day and you you suck at languages, then you know, a couple of years. But maybe that's a fun tool. I mean, they say that's good at not having Alzheimer's when you get older by learning languages. It's one of the most intense like memory exercises you can do. Even for that, it's useful. As I know people who don't even want to learn Esperanto, and they'll learn Esperanto for like two weeks just just to learn how to learn a language. So even in two weeks, you can start having like experiencing language learning already. Well, I remember when I was doing some research on language learning, and, and I'm going to totally brutalize these numbers, so don't call me out if I, if I get them wrong, everyone. But it was, if you were a native English speaker and you were coming to another language, how many hours of study? And I, and I mean, like real study, not just BS. But I think for most of the Romance languages, so Portuguese, Italian, French, Spanish, these types of languages, and Romanian was 400 hours. So that would be considered a level one language. And for German was like a level two language. It was like 550 hours or 600 hours and went all the way up to a level five language, which was Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and Arabic, which were two and a half thousand hours. So it kind of gives you, you know, a bit of a basis when you're going into a language, how many hours and really how many months or how many years you're going to have to dedicate where you're going to really become fluid. So with that kind of in mind, in your guesstimate, where would Esperanto fit in? Well, I'd say like if you compare it for English speakers learning uh, French, German, or Spanish, those are the most typical language. I'd say probably like five times faster is my guess. Okay. Just because the regularities just make it easy. I mean, you don't have to learn all those stupid <laughs> rules that don't make any sense. They don't contribute to communication. Because I remember speaking with a, uh, as a, a Brazilian, actually, he was randomly in the wrong bed in the hostel I was staying at. <laughs> but then uh, I found out that, um, oh, we tried to communicate. And he said, like, I don't speak English. And we communicate through Spanish. And I was like, and I was thinking about it later. And I was like, this is not neither of our native languages. And this is stupid that we have to still wrap our tongues around all these irregularities when they don't contribute to us communicating at all. Yeah, I've had that experience too when traveling with my wife. We'll try to talk to someone and it's like, do you speak English? No. Spanish? No. Korean? <laughs> no. Chinese? No. My daughter's learning Russian now as well. So now we'll be able to add that one. And at one point, I'm hoping that we'll be able to pretty much communicate with anybody on the earth in one of the languages we speak as a family, but it's kind of funny when you have to kind of start listing through languages <laughs> to try to find one. One more thing I want to say quick. I remember meeting a guy from Beijing online and it was funny because he told me he spent seven years learning English and a year learning Esperanto and he could already speak Esperanto better than English. And this is from a Chinese person. So I was just like, wow, that's crazy. And another study just to talk about how effective Esperanto is learning is there was a group that learned Esperanto for a year and uh, French for three years, and another group that learned French for four years, and the group that learned Esperanto first actually spoke French better than the group that learned French because they were really like more at the sense of like trying to analyze the language, like really getting at the points. Like, so where is this word coming from, and where does it fit into the sentence? And it's really fascinating. Definitely. Well, it's so wild. Okay, I mean, I have a long history with Spanish, but when I first started trying to learn it. 
and looking at how many conjugations there are and then the tenses and then conjugating things in mm -hmm. different tenses. <laughs> and it's like, there can be one word and there's like 47 different spellings or something for this <laughs> one, depending on, and then there's the masculine feminine. And it's like, this is insane. So what I'm guessing with Esperanto is they've simplified and taken out a lot of this stuff because you had said the conjugation, but what about masculine feminine? And what about tenses? Those types of things. Well, there's just either law or you drop it. So if it's like A or N, you just drop the article. And if it's the, then you put law. Super simple. The verbs don't change based on who's saying it. So it's me amas, vi amas, she amas, li amas. So I love, you love, she loves, he loves. Yeah, so many things like that. Just what seems like what's natural, which is funny because I was in the parliament building in uh, Strasbourg. And the lady asked me, like, who are you representing? And I said, oh, the World Esperanto Youth Organization. Oh, that artificial language. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> it's a great way to treat the people you Okay. Anyway. <laughs> but my thought then afterwards was like, wait a minute. What, what's actually more natural that I'm speaking Esperanto with someone else who also learned Esperanto, who doesn't share a native language with me, or that I'm speaking into a microphone and I'm wearing headphones and someone in a booth across the room is trying to interpret what I'm saying and some, to someone else who's wearing headphones and who's going to speak back in a mic to me. I was like, which is the natural way to communicate here? It just really made me think about things a bit. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Well, so, and to circle back to your other point, you said that probably five times faster. So if we use the same study that I had read at, I think it was 400, but let's say it was 500. So that would mean in a hundred hours, of intense study, you should be pretty far along in the language and be able to have conversations and do a lot of things. Now, when we compare that to how long it takes people to study in traditional school and your story about seven years of studying English, seven years, <laughs> and they still couldn't speak it at a really high level and came in with a new language and blew it out of the park. It's very interesting. I think it's very interesting. Thank you. I think, I think it's fascinating too. Like the things I just hear, like, I mean, even just the strange psychological effects, the first Esperanto event, actually the first uh, Universal Congreso was in France in uh, 1905. And people came from say Russia, France, Germany, England, Switzerland. And they found by the end of the week, they sort of developed this neutral accent. And it's just it's completely fascinating to think that everyone's coming together it's because artificial language. And then by the end, they've sort of just speak in a neutral accent together. And it's just these things that I wish linguistics would study more about Esperanto are just fascinating to me. <laughs> Definitely. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the families. Have there ever been any families that are teaching their children Esperanto as a first language? There are. And I mean, if you think about it, say you have a couple that met from a Japanese woman meets with a, a German man, for example, in an Esperanto meeting, and then they don't have any common language between them. So, but the funny thing is what really people who tend to want to have native kids, the other thing that people think about, say you have this, this family again, like say the Japanese mother and the German father, is the usually people think, the father thinks, I'm going to speak German with my kids. And the mom thinks I'm going to speak Japanese with my kids. Because the thing is, Esperanto is so easy to learn, they can just pick it up later in life as a second language. It's no big deal. So. Typically, what you're getting is people who speak the same language, but 
they know through know each other through Esperanto and they're like, we want to give our kid a richer language experience or or even more practically, they want to go to Esperanto family events. They don't want their kid to be left out because they can't speak Esperanto. Those are the families who are more typically raising Esperanto kids. Oh, I, actually, if you want to delve into this more or your listeners want to delve into this more, there's a video on YouTube called Esperanto Like a Native. So a bit of a pun there, like a native. And we have interviews with uh, five or six uh, native Esperanto speakers, and you can hear their experience growing up with it and things like that. It's fascinating. Amazing. Last advice or tips or tricks or anything that you would give people who say, yes, this is something that I want to learn more about. Oh, I'd say, well, think about, you probably learned another language before. Think about what you really want to, like your method of learning languages, what works for you. I mean, I heard a famous polyglot, uh, Judith Meyer says the, the best method for learning languages is the method that you use. So I'd say, find what you use, but make it fun. Like, don't, I mean, it's Esperanto, come on. You don't <laughs> need to cram it down your throat. Um, or find an Esperanto event near you when you like just have goals, maybe. What you want to do with it? Do you want to travel with it? Do you want to host people? Some people, I know a guy in Manhattan, he just says, I don't like traveling, but I host the world at my home. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, think of what you want to do with Esperanto, then find learning resources that will help you reach your goals. Brilliant. I love it, Chuck. Very, very interesting conversation. Going into this, I wasn't sure what to expect. I don't have any experience with Esperanto myself besides reading a few blog articles, but it's really interesting, the community aspect, how people interact with each other, what the possibilities are out there, the history of the language, how it functions. It's super, super interesting for me. So if my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of you, where can we send them? So I recommend going to amikumo.com. That's our app. Also, if you're nearby, I'll pop up in the app next to you. If you want to reach me by email, you can reach me at chuck at amikumo.com. Maybe you should spell that for us as well. So everybody listening to the show will have reference to it. That's A-M-I-K-U-M-U. Amazing. Chuck, thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed today's interview. Before you guys go, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language. Listen, if you guys are going to be an expat, a digital nomad, if you're going to travel, world school, all this fun stuff, build your business overseas, it's really important that you learn the local languages. Don't just go out there and speak only English. I promise you'll have a much richer experience. You'll get a lot more out of the relationships that you build. And you know what? It's honestly a lot of fun. So what I want you to do, if you guys are interested in learning another language, go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language. You're going to be able to check out the really amazing language programs that my really good friend Ollie Richards does. I really like these programs. I fully endorse them. And you know what? My listeners have had great success with them over the years. So check it out. Go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash languages, and we will see you in next week's episode. Great. Have a good day. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, 
Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.